Grandparents' Day in elementary school is a big deal. That's a big deal. I remember that day very well. Now, growing up, I had two uh, amazing grandmothers. I had my grandmother on my mom's side and my grandmother on my dad's side. Now, typically, my grandmother on my dad's side would be the one that would go to Grandparents' Day, but she was always going to Grandparents' Day. Um, so instead, I asked my uh, mom's mom, my other grandma, to come, Grandma Fern. And Grandma Fern came with me to Grandparents' Day. Unbeknownst to me, however, there was a girl in my elementary school class named Mindy that I did not like at all. Mindy and her family became good friends with my grandma, my dad's side. And my grandma had the gall to take Mindy to Grandparents' Day at our school. That was my grandma. That wasn't Mindy's grandma. How dare Mindy pretend like that's her grandma? I couldn't fathom in my young mind why it is that my grandma would so lovingly, so, so, with so much care, be willing to give of her time and her love to be with this girl that didn't have a grandmother herself. That's kind of what we're dealing with here in Acts chapter 11. So for those of you who don't know, we've been going through a series for the whole year so far. We're in our 16th week, I believe. 50 weeks we are committed to spending in the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts, is, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And Acts tells about the life of the early church. So how is it that the early church came to be? How is it that, that the followers of Jesus began to expand and expand and expand with the message of the gospel of the resurrected Jesus Christ? And last week we looked at Acts chapter 10. Now Acts chapter 10 is an interesting situation because things begin to turn seemingly on a dime. Up to this point... Every single person who had received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who had confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in their heart that God raised them from the dead, every single person up to this moment in Acts chapter 10 was Jewish. These were Jewish individuals who became followers of Jesus. They either were born Jewish or they, um, uh, what's the, converted, right, to Judaism. But now in Acts chapter 10, we see then the gospel of the resurrected Jesus actually providing salvation for people who weren't Jewish. The Gentiles, as they're called. That's basically everybody else. That's a word that the Jewish have for everyone else. Here's the deal. In Leviticus chapter 11, this is the Old Testament, the Jews are given laws and in these laws are things that they can eat and things that they cannot eat. The reason they can't eat certain things is because they're deemed unclean. And so then a Jewish person would see anybody who eats these unclean things as unclean themselves. And it could not, they couldn't fathom these individuals who realize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he rose from the, from the dead and, and, and provides a way for them to have life everlasting, they could not conceive in their minds that God would also be in the business of saving people that they deemed as unclean. But yet, 
Yet the Holy Spirit calls Peter, one of the apostles, the original 12, who walked and talked with Jesus for three years in ministry, called Peter to go to Caesarea and speak with Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and to see to it that his family and those around him received the gospel of Jesus Christ as well. And that's where we find ourselves here in Acts chapter 11, because word's gotten out. Now the other followers of Jesus, who are Jewish in that area, in Judea and Samaria, outside of Jerusalem, have heard about what it is that happened with these Gentiles. What, they also are part of this deal? But they're unclean. How is that even possible? And so Peter comes back having experienced this, and immediately, without even saying anything, in Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, it says this, The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also, also had received the word of God. So when Peter went back to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, which is, are those followers of Jesus who were Jewish, criticized him, criticized Peter. And they said, you, you went into the house of a non-Jew, a Gentile, and you ate with them? You ate with them. You ate unclean foods with unclean people. Notice who had an issue with um, Peter here. It wasn't just the followers of Jesus. It says the apostles. That's crazy. These are the men who, like I said, walked and talked and, and swam in the same ocean figuratively with Jesus. This was the world they lived in for three years. Because this instance that they have when the apostles are criticizing Peter, that Peter would dare go into the house of an unclean person and eat unclean foods for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, these are the same men who were present with Jesus when he called Matthew. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, Jesus saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, while Jesus then was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, remember, when you hear the word Pharisee, you should think of the imperial march. Bum, bum, bum. Boom, bum, 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 bum. Okay? They're the bad guys of the Bible. Pharisees. The Pharisees saw this, Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, and they asked Jesus' disciples, they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Doesn't this sound familiar? The Pharisees are criticizing Jesus that Jesus would dare share a table with tax collectors and sinners, and yet, just a little bit later, these same individuals, followers of that resurrected Jesus now, are criticizing Peter for doing the exact same thing. It didn't take long for the apostles and followers of Jesus to 
become Pharisees themselves. Peter's probably baffled by why he would have to defend himself in the gospel that saves lives. Curious bit of information, according to Jewish law at the time, in order for something to be true, it needed to be seen by seven witnesses. How many people did Peter take with him to go to Cornelius? Six. So he comes back with seven witnesses, according to the law, baffled that they wouldn't accept this, that they would be critical of it. So he responds by laying down evidence. This is what he says in verse 13. He says, he, that is Cornelius, this Gentile that became saved along with his whole family, he told me that he had seen an angel appear to his house and say, send to Joppa, that's where Peter was, send, who is called Peter, send for him, he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. So the gospel of the resurrected Jesus coming to the Gentiles, that is, those who aren't, aren't Jews, it was not a coincidence. It was not something that just happened. It was God's plan and purpose all along. And Peter has come to realize this. He's actually come to recognize this truth. Now for the first time. In verse 17, he says, So if God gave them the Gentiles, the same gift that he gave us, who am I to think that I could stand in God's way? That's powerful. Who am I to think I could stand in God's way? You can try, but woe to you who would try to impede God's movement. Vision is getting on board with where God is already going. Because God is always moving so we either get in the business of moving with him or we get off and we watch it go by. When the apostles and the followers of Jesus, when they heard Peter's testimony, there was no denying then what happened. Once they heard and it was confirmed by seven witnesses who saw this transpire, that is Cornelius and his whole family coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the first time, Gentiles saved. They said in verse 18, they had no further objections and they praised God and they said, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. But here's, here's the deal. It's not as if God changed his mind. It's not that he redirected his plan or his purpose. One thing wasn't working out and so he went in another direction. This has been his plan all along. If we look back at the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 through 13, after the Pharisees criticized Jesus for eating with tax collectors and sinners, by the way, isn't it interesting? Total side note. This gets more context, makes scripture, I think, more rich. You notice he does, they don't say just sinners. That is, they saw tax collectors as something worse than sinners. What do you see as worse than sinners? After the Pharisees criticize Jesus, Jesus says this. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
And then he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's a little Bible study 101. Teach you a little Bible study trick. If you ever are reading a passage and you come across something like, remember this, consider this, think on this, go and learn what this means. If you don't stop and do that, you're not reading scripture right. We're told to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So we got to do that, right? So Jesus is actually quoting here. Did you know that? He's quoting. He's quoting Hosea chapter 6. It's in the Old Testament. In Hosea chapter 6, Hosea, a prophet, is speaking on behalf of God. This won't be on the screen, but this is what he says. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Basically, he's saying, what can I do with you people? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that just disappears. Therefore, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So here's what God is saying through the prophet Hosea and then Jesus in Matthew 9. There is danger in a person's relationship with religion that is only external. There is danger in a person's relationship with religion that is measured only by rituals, traditions, and rules. And there is danger in a person's relationship with religion in which these things have replaced love and devotion. So the Hebrew word for mercy that's used here by Hosea and then Jesus is the, the word hesed. hesed. The Bible scholar Daryl Bach, he defines this word hesed as this, quote, Wrapping up all of the positive attributes of God, that is love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, loyalty. In short, acts of devotion and loving kindness that go beyond the requirements of duty, unquote. Has said is not a fleeting emotion or a fancy thing. Has said rather is a loyal and faithful commitment. A loyal and lovingly faithful commitment. And so said is what God desires from us. That is, that we give to him a loyal and lovingly faithful commitment. But then this is, this is awesome. He also desires to give said to us. He also gives to us a loyal and and lovingly faithful commitment. Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus wants to sit at the table with you. He wants to sit at the table with me.
The Pharisees in, in Matthew chapter 9 and, and the followers of Jesus in Acts 11, they, they suffer from what I would like to um, refer to as a shame deflection. Shame deflection. Shame deflection is basically this. You feel bad about who you are. You feel unworthy for whatever reason. Real and painful things happen to you that you can't shake or rid yourself of. Or painful and real things you induced in your life because of your decisions that you measure yourself constantly by. Or you, th- you see yourself a certain way and then you either receive hate or vitriol from others outside and all that together summates this idea of your worthlessness. And so in shame, think, thinking badly of, of who you are defines yourself and so what do you do in turn you send that shame to others that's shame deflection when we believe that the table cannot hold this person or this people group or this race when we when we determine that the table can't open a chair for anybody else, it's because we really believe that we don't deserve to be at the table. Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I began first to understand God's heart for the world when I fully realized God's heart for me for me. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus in Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. A follower of Jesus, someone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, someone who believes that Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the dead and is living today, Declaring with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing that God raised him from the dead, that is a follower of Jesus. And a follower of Jesus is a sinner. I've always thought that a great name for a church would be uh, the asylum. (laughs) Not because it's made up of a bunch of crazy people, although maybe sometimes that's true. Because we are all broken. We are all in desperate need of a Savior. We are all incapable of saving ourselves. There is no one exempt from this reality. And because there is no one exempt from that reality, the table is open for everybody. Even you. Even me. That is truth. We are saved by grace. Unmerited favor. Grace is only grace. It is only amazing when it is unearned. 
we are welcome at the table. And your invitation to the table has nothing to do with your past. Your invitation has nothing to do with your failures. It has everything to do with God's has said for you. His loving and faithful commitment to you. And this relationship, it knows no boundaries. Not geographical. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for this part of the world. It's not just for this color of skin. It's not just for this political ideology. It is for everyone. And all who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, all who confess that God raised him from the dead will be saved. Even you, even me. The table is open. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, it says, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. Nor is there even male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that there are enough seats at the table. Thank you for loving me so much that even in my lack of deserving the gift that you've given me, you yet give it freely. I pray, Father, that you would continue to open my eyes to my worth only because of your sacrifice. And that I would begin to see even more every moment, every day, the worth that everyone has in your eyes. I pray this in your name. Amen. Yes, Lord. I may be weak, but your spirit is strong in me. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the strength that you provide. We are saved by grace so that no one can boast, so that no one can proclaim, I'm saved because I did that. We are only saved because you gave your life. Thank you. Thank you. In your name, amen. Throughout this series, we finish each service with together declaring this decree. I invite you to please say this out loud with me. We are the church. We have received power from the Holy Spirit. We are Jesus' witness to the world. We will give the love of Jesus to each other, to our community, and to the ends of the earth because we are the church. Amen. Don't forget we have the benevolence offering there as you leave for those in our community in need of financial assistance. God bless. We'll see you next week.